Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. If any of you are interested in some prayer points um, from the war in the Middle East, some of our international workers sent these out earlier this week, and there's copies here on the front pew or in the table in the lobby as you go out if you want some prayer points for how to pray uh, for those who are suffering around our world. As we launch into our sermon, I just want to celebrate first the rose on our platform, which signifies new life in Christ. And this was last week, someone named Russell. So can we celebrate that together? So if we haven't met before, my name is Jennifer. If we have met before, my name is still Jennifer, but just for those of you who hadn't met me before, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Glad that you're joining us on live stream, if that's the way that you're worshiping with us today. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and specifically, I am a co-pastor of adult and family ministry. It's kind of a mouthful. And the only reason I bring that up today is because I know something about some of you, because I'm the pastor of family ministry, and I know that there are some of you who never hear the announcements because you're dropping off kids. And you're never here right at the time the service starts. And this is not a shaming message at all. This is that there are some announcements that are near and dear to my heart, and so I'm going to say them again because I'm here and because I can. So, if you are a woman in the room and you've thought about the women's retreat, but you're sort of hesitant, maybe even you think, eh, I'm not really into women's things, you would not be the first woman to come to retreat with that attitude and love it. So if, you, if, if it's sparked in your heart at all, think about looking up that information and joining us in Cannon Beach. It's beautiful, it's fun, and it's transformational. So uh, I'll be there. Um, it's a great time. Those of you, how many, and how many of you in the room have kids? Those hands? Okay. All right. How many of you have kids that are like 18 and younger? Okay. Okay. Keep them up if they're like five and younger. Okay, thank you. You can put them down. Have you ever wished that there was a space where you could worship with your kids, where they could enjoy worship, and you weren't worried about them being a distraction? Uh, family ministry is going to start to try to grow in our ability to give family worship times where your kids in all their exuberance and joy and noise are welcome without um, distracting or disturbing anybody else. So this afternoon at Every Parent is the first time we're going to do this and Greta is going to come and lead some worship for the first half of Every Parent today to give us an opportunity for families to worship together. So if you're a parent or a grandparent uh, or just a person who loves the idea of worshiping with families, uh, we're going to be doing that in Cedar Hall today at four, and we'll follow that up with some of our teaching time. We do have child care for the kids as well once worship is over. Last one, it is not too late to uh, join our marriage course. Uh, you might not have known if you weren't in the Sanctuary for announcements uh, in the last couple weeks that we are starting an eight-week um, opportunity to invest in your marriage. So if you're interested in that, uh, just come talk to me after the service. I'll tell you how to sign up for that. Okay, that's the end of announcements, and let's dive in here. We're going to look at the concept of before and after today, right? So before and after pictures are kind of all the rage. That's sort of a, a staple in the Instagram world, in the Facebook world, are these before and after pictures. And we do this about a lot of different types of things. We do this about the small yard projects that we do, uh, like when my son decided to build a fire circle in his yard, and he had the before and the after of what his fire circle looked like. 
We do this on great big projects like capital campaign projects. How many of you remember this before and after? This was quite a while ago, but this was the Broadway building, the, the lot before and the finished building after. We do this with our house projects, whether it's a total renovation inside or a total renovation outside. We do this with our house projects and we also do this with our personal projects. You can often find these about weight loss or hairstyle, um, when somebody goes from something really drastic to something else. <laughs> I do, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Uh, Rob and Brian are currently in Kosovo with our RTI students. Uh, you can remember to pray for them. And I honestly think the tech team had a little more fun with this than maybe they should have. Okay. <laughs> Whatever your before and after, there's something very satisfying about seeing what it was and what it became. What the work that did accomplished. And sometimes we need to see the before in order to appreciate the after. And that's what Ephesians 2 does for us. Ephesians 2 is a chapter of before and after. The first half of the book is the before and after of our own personal new life in Christ. And the second half of the book is the before and after of the, the people of Gen, the Gentile people. The Jews were the nation of God and in Christ the Gentiles, the rest of the world was brought into this multi-ethnic global family of faith. We're gonna focus today on chapters one through 10. Um, because the second half of the passage actually goes really well with chapter 3. So we're going to just get to dive into verses 1 through 10 to see that God's grace is the only thing that releases our position in Christ and our purpose in life. God's grace releases both position and purpose. So as I read, you might want to join me. We're going to interact with scripture quite a bit today. I'm actually going to read a little and pause and read a little more and teach from there. And so you can pull out a pew Bible in front of you for Ephesians 2 or look it up in your app. But I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Three times in these three verses, he says, just like everyone else, the way the rest of the world lives, this is what the world experiences. You might remember last week, Anya did a great job of kicking off our Ephesians series, and she pointed out that the you written in Ephesians is a y'all. It's a plural. This is our human condition. And so this is our before, you guys. We're dead in sin. We're disobedient to God. We're living in sin. Okay, how can you be dead in sin and live in sin at the same time? Our spirits are dead within us. Remember in Genesis when God said, if you eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. It wasn't about the disobedience of the eating. It was about the not trusting God to be God in our lives. And all of us have done that. And so our spirits, our collective before is that our spirits are dead within us. We are dead in our sin. And yet... As we still physically walk this earth, we live in sin. We're dead in sin, we live in sin, we are obeying the devil, and we're following passionate desires and inclination of our own sinful nature. This idea of original sin, that by our very nature we were lost. The spirit that is in work in the hearts of those who disobey 
is the devil. We're trapped in a purposeless life. We're trapped in selfishness and sin. We have a broken relationship, not just with others, but with God and even with ourselves. Remember in the garden, that's where shame first rose up, these broken relationships all around us. Those outside of Christ are not only subject to the pervasive bondage of the present evil age, but they're also empowered by personal evil forces. This is our before. It's not very pretty. It needed a renovation. And sometimes, especially for those of us who've called ourselves Christ followers for a long time, we need a little bit of a wake up to remember that we are part of the before of humanity and we are part of the before of our own individual walk and but for God, this would still be our reality. Let's keep reading. Uh, but God, aren't those some of the best two words in scripture? But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. So, but God, he was so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. He gave us life. He saved us by grace. He raised us with Christ. Friends, he forgives all our sins, not just at the moment of salvation for what we've done in the past, but in the moment now for what we're still stuck in. Now he forgives us and saves us. He joined our lives with Jesus in his resurrection life and that leads us to our after picture. The before is so desperate and yet the after is so glorious because we are alive in Christ. Those who have believed in Jesus are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Those who have accepted the gift of forgiveness through salvation are united with Christ and we become a display of his grace for the world that so desperately longs and needs to know a God who is not just some killjoy but is the source of the very life that we long for. This is our new position in Christ. By grace, we are no longer dead. We're no longer living as the rest of the world, blind in their dead and their spiritual death and their sin. Slaves to sin and obedient to the devil, but we've been created as new human beings through Jesus. One of the commentators that I was reading in preparation summed it all up this way. He said, God makes alive what was dead. God raises up what was burdened under wrath. And God seats in the heavens those condemned to sit under the vicious rule of the prince of the air. God's tremendous exertion on humanity's behalf demonstrates his love toward them now and his plentiful grace in the ages to come. Friends, this is our before and our after. And isn't it glorious? Isn't it worth a pause to say sometimes we just need to be reminded of the basics of our faith? And I would say to those of you in the room who maybe are on an exploring journey about faith and you wonder if following God is worth it and you think maybe, you know, that Christianity, it has a lot of rules. It has a lot of shoulds. It has a lot of limits and I don't really like getting put in a box. Can I just say that the before 
is slaves to a vicious ruler who only wants to steal and kill and destroy. And he does that through deceiving and making you think that you're living the good life by avoiding the life that God might want to give you. And can I just say that the after is so worth it? Yes, there is some obedience. Yes, there is some submission and some surrender. Yes, my life becomes not my own, but my life is Christ. And yet, it is the life I was created to live. And the joy and the life that wells up is something that you cannot possibly imagine while you're still in the before because the after is so much more than you could ever imagine. I read a story this week that reminded me of this heart of God towards us and every human example falls short of this amazing gift of God but this one caught my attention. I was online and I was reading the news. I was trying to get caught up with what's going on around the globe. I don't know about you but sometimes I can get so single-minded focused on my own kind of hamster wheel that I run on that I lose sight of the fact that I am a part of a body of Christ that is bigger than Salem, Oregon and I'm a part of a global humanity that is bigger than Salem, Oregon. And so I was reading up on some things and I came across a story of a young woman who'd gotten caught in the crossfires in the war in Israel and Palestine. She's 22 years old and she hadn't talked to her dad in six years. So imagine with me, I don't know any more of the story than that, but a 16-year-old girl who has a rift with her dad and hasn't talked to them in six years. He's a police officer, and when the enemy starts coming to her neighborhood, she knows that there's one person she can contact who might possibly be able to help. And she hasn't talked to them in six years. And so a text goes out that says, they're coming my way, and a text come back that says, state where you are, get to your safe room, please answer me, please answer, please answer. And the next text says this, they shot me, help. And the dad says, I'm coming. Six years, silence. I don't know whose fault, I don't know if there was a fault. But she texts out, I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm stuck, please help. And what does he say? He says, I'm coming. And I think there are some of us in the room, especially those of us who've walked with Christ a long time. There are those of you in here that you're thinking about the salvation message, the, the first time decision, but there's a lot of you in the room, you made a first time decision. You gave your life to Christ a long time ago. You said, you are my Lord and I will follow you all the days of my life. Many of you have been in the tank of baptism here at Salem Alliance and yet, I wonder if there have been some things that have derailed you a little bit in recent years. Maybe some grief or loss, relational betrayal or disillusionment. Maybe there's bitterness or resentment and unforgiveness. Maybe there's an addiction or a behavior that you know doesn't honor God. Maybe there's something that's stirred up in you and you know you are not following God in the way that leads to true life and yet you've been stuck in this spot and then the enemy of your soul has begun to whisper to you and say, he won't take you back. You knew him, you thrived with him, you served him. He doesn't want you back, you've gone too far. And can I just say, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how far or when or what. The instant you turn to God and say, help, he says, I'm coming. I'm coming. Why? How do I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because he came before we even knew we had to ask. While we were still dead in our sins, he sent his son to be our savior before we even knew that we needed a savior. Why do I know that he will run to us? Because he calls himself our father. He calls himself Abba because of his great love and his great mercy. Our before and after is a reality. How do I know that he will come for you? Because he comes for me. 
over and over and over again. Never let the enemy lie to you and say that you have gone too far to be in the loving arms of your father. Let's finish this passage. Starting in verse eight. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What a beautiful picture. We're saved by grace and grace alone. None of us can hold on to pride or boasting about that because we didn't do it. Our before and after did not happen because of our effort or our earning. It happened because of what God did. And in that, he releases also our purpose for living. He created us with a work to do that he prepared in advance for us to do. God, grace, releases our position and our purpose. Here's something that this taps into, though. There's kind of a classic Christian tension between grace and works. Between faith, you're saved by faith alone, and works. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've just read, read with me, actually. Some of you have memorized this in the NIV. So we just read it in the New Living Translation, but I want us to read it actually out loud together, because I know you know it, uh, from the NIV. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And yet, if I flip over here to James chapter 2, and if you read the whole chapter, you'll get the context, but I'm just going to read from verse 17 here. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. And if you actually go down a little farther to 24, it says this. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Okay, answer me this. If you were sitting down with a friend who was a seeker who was exploring the truths of the Bible and they brought you these two verses, what would you say? <laughs> what would I say? <laughs> Let me show you what Dallas Willard said. He's, he's a good guy to look at. Uh, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Friends, I think it's all about the motive. If we think that the work that we do, the obedience that we do, the things that we do in trying to follow God are going to earn us our place in heaven, we are dead wrong. But if we believe that out of the good gift of this before and after that Ephesians lays out for us, that God also releases a purpose in our life whose outcome is doing a good work, that the thing that happens invisibly inside of us when we believe in God and faith rises up and new life rises up in us individually is exposed to the outward world by the things that we do, then we begin to be on the right track. And I think Ephesians 2 actually gives us at least a partial piece of the answer to this question because these two verses are back to back. You've got Ephesians 2, 9, for it's by grace that we're saved and not through faith, none of, not, not through works, none of us can boast, and followed immediately up by because you are God's masterpiece or his workmanship and the way that you were created was to do a work that God prepared in advance for you to do. The two are not opposite. They go together because grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. 
couple weeks ago in Vision 360, uh, Rob Basham told us uh, some of the ways that he prays for our city. And he mentioned this term, experiential grace. What's the difference between grace that we know, that we've read about, that we could tell somebody about, a memory verse that we could quote, and grace that grips our soul, that changes the way that we live, that is a transformative moment through the power encounter with the living God when we truly get at the depths of our being that this does not depend on us, that his grace runs so deep. What if we knew that our work wasn't what earned us God's approval, we already have that, but that our work was the thing that aligned us with his will and aligned us with his path for our life and aligned us with his kingdom building purposes. Isn't it amazing when you get to be part of something that is making a difference in the world? When, when your great passion and your skill set and your gifts meet the world's great need, there is nothing more joyful than being a part of God's work in the world. But it doesn't flow out of, oh, I should, or oh, I have to, or it flows out of, I have new life in Christ and he has released a position in Christ that cannot be taken away and he's also released a purpose in Christ that has some outlet in the world that you live in right now. So, what is the before and after people see when they look at your life or my life or our corporate church life or the big C church around the globe life Remember in chapters one and verses one through three, it talked about the, this before, it's the way the rest of the world lives. It's the way everyone else do it. It's what all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> How do we look different? Does our after actually have a visible outward sign of something different in us? Imagine if we, his people, actually looked different from the rest of this world. Imagine if our works were not based out of a need for performance or our own effort or our own image maintenance, but out of the deep awareness that grows out of knowing ourselves loved, knowing God's mercy poured out on our behalf. There's a difference between work that is done for my own reputation and the building up of people admiring me and work that is done out of being fully confident in who God made me to be and who God made you to be and being humble in that place in the world where we say, I know that I didn't earn this and I don't deserve this, but I have something to give the world because God put it in me. See, I like to think of that as confident humility. Those, those words aren't actually opposites. See, the confidence flows from our position in Christ and the humility flows from the awareness that I didn't do anything to deserve it and I didn't make it happen and I didn't earn it. Confidence looks like stepping out into places that God calls you to go and humility looks like doing that with gentleness and patience and kindness and bearing with one another in love. Humility looks like listening to someone for understanding instead of listening for argument. I think some of us have begun to think, or maybe not in this room, but somewhere in the global sea church, I think there are pockets of people who believe that confidence needs to look like defensiveness, aggressiveness, going on the offense to defend things of God, and I would say that I believe confidence is paired with humility, 
and looks like listening to understand and leading with gentleness and being patient and that that reflects the character of God, this confident humility is what's called out of us in this place of knowing our before, clearly seeing it, knowing our after, clearly seeing it, and living in this place of confident humility. This message, this before and after message is first and foremost a message of salvation. And so I would ask you, have you believed in Jesus as your savior? There are some of you in this room that would say, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or no, I haven't. And I would say this is an important question to wrestle with because the Bible says that the before is dead in sin, living in sin, disobedient to God and separated from him. And that the after is alive in Christ with a renewed purpose and a position seated at the right hand of Jesus in the heavenly realms. And for those of you who could say yes to that question, can I just invite us to pause for a minute of gratitude? Like, has it been a while since you thought of the fact that Jesus pursued you and found you and called you his own and that everything you have in this life is because you have believed in Jesus as your savior? This before and after message is also a message of humility. And so I would ask, what does confident humility look like in your life? For some of you, that may mean stepping up in confidence and stepping out in some things that you've been hesitant to do. And for others of you, that might actually mean stepping back a little bit in humility, paying attention to others, listening a little bit more than you talk, and asking God, do I have any pride or boastfulness mixed up in this life that I live, whether it's my spiritual life, my work life, my family or relational life? Do I recognize that everything, everything is a gift from God, not something that I have earned? And this before and after message is a message of work of living and serving and being that is born out of our awareness of God's life in us, that's born out of his grace and new life and the new purpose that he gives us. We don't work for God's favor, we work from God's favor. And so I would ask you, how could you step out in the good things God has planned for you? And for each of you, this looks different because your good works that God created for you look different than the good works he created for me because he made us different. We have different personalities and life stories and spheres of influence and gifts and strengths and weaknesses and passions and all those things put together to be a unique space for us. So don't compare yourself with me or some other Christian that you know or somebody that you admire or even your spouse or your parents, but ask God, what is the work that you have for me and how is the place that you have set me already the work that you have for me? Let me put on my pastor of family ministries hat again for a second. If you are a parent, that is your good work. You are impacting the next generation of Christ followers. There's nothing more important that you could be doing than investing spiritually in your kids and in your household, in your marriage so that you can be a strong household for your kids. That is the good work that God prepared in advance for you to do. It's your family. And how do we do all this? Because I never want a message from Jennifer to sound like shoulds. Here are the things you should do. It always flows from the power of Holy Spirit at work within us. And so I would say, ask Holy Spirit to help you with this. Where you need direction, where you need discernment, where you need patience and humility, where you need confidence. (laughs) We ask, and he gives generously to all without finding fault. So let's pray and do that together today.
Holy Spirit, thank you for living and being present in us. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for giving us your spirit. And so now we ask together as a body that you, Holy Spirit, would lead us in this, that you would help us in this, that where we have struggle believing but we want to believe, help us believe. Where we have struggle being confident but we want to be confident, help us be confident. Where we know we need humility but we struggle to be humble, help us be humble. Where we wonder what the work is that you have for us. Where we can see the work but we don't know exactly how to get there. Would you show us the way? Would you show us the path? Holy Spirit, we need you. We love you. We want to be people that see your kingdom come and your will be done in us and in the world around us because of your power flowing through us. And so we commit our way to you. We thank you for your word and we pray that it would bear fruit that remains. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.